You're listening to In Country, a podcast covering Marvel Comics, The Nom. Welcome to episode 58 of In Country, a podcast that is taking a complete look at the Marvel comic series The Nom, which is brought to you by the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network. I'm your host, Tom Panneries. If you notice that this episode starts with Wedding Bell Blues, which was the number one hit for the fifth dimension in November 1969, you might think there's something about a wedding this issue, especially since our last issue finished with Phil yelling to Dove to ask Gail to marry him. And, well, that's what we're going to see. The cover is a little macabre, actually, as it shows the skeleton in an army uniform and the skeleton in a wedding dress, tying the knot with Till Death Do Us Part over them. Not exactly subtle. There's no cover credit that I can find, and it honestly looks like something out of a 1970s DC horror comic more than anything, but it's definitely attention-getting. So I'm going to go right into the story. The title of the story is The Stone Age. The issue is the nom number 51, and it is Doug Murray's last issue on the book. It was published on October 30th, 1990, and it was cover dated December 1990. Doug Murray was a writer. Herb Trimpey is the artist. Phil Felix, letterer. Bob Sharon, colorist. Don Daly, editor. And Tom DeFalco was your editor-in-chief. Vietnam's history, our opening caption boxes tell us, is one of conquest. Conquest by the Chinese, then the French, then the Japanese, then the French again. Time after time, foe after foe, each of these conquerors was eventually driven off. But each left something behind. Nebulous things, cultural mores, educational styles, languages, concrete things built by the conquerors but left to the survivors. Things like the great cathedrals of the provincial capitals, buildings as useful now as when they were erected. It's in a cathedral where we see the wedding of Dove and Gale, which is attended by Phil, Marilyn, and a few others, including Top, who Phil pays off so their marriage papers can go through without being noticed. Top, of course, does note that if someone does notice what will happen, they'll be out of luck. Phil and Marilyn take Dove and Gale to a surprise they've prepared, a house all for them. After a celebration, the two turn in, and Marilyn and Phil drive away, with Marilyn asking Phil if he ever thinks of marriage, and Phil saying that he never does. A few days later, as a pair of choppers crosses the Cambodian border on a mission, Dove and Phil chat about Dove's new married life and then fly over a wasteland that was obviously hit by an arc light. They spot a random Vietnamese man wandering through the wasteland all zombie-like and call out to him, but can't get his attention. They fly on and then spot two surface-to-air missiles coming right at them. Dove tries to evade, but is shot down. 
Back in Tainin, Gale is certain that Dove is dead, even though the base says he's only missing. Marilyn tries to reassure her, but Gale insists that he's dead because she just knows it. After they spot a chopper that's not his, Gale tells Marilyn that she's had it with Vietnam. She's going to leave, resign, and get out. Unbeknownst to her, Dove and the guys are alive and trying to find their way out of enemy territory. Unfortunately, they've been walking in circles for four days, but they keep pushing on despite the fact that they're running out of both food and water. Phil finds a stream and dunks his head in to get a drink and is almost attacked by a snake, but Dove kills and cooks it, which they eat because they have to, and Phil puts, well, the hot sauce on it. Two more days pass. The guys continue to trek through the jungle, and as they walk, they hear something approach. They think it's Charlie and approach carefully, but discover it's a flock of birds who are feeding on the corpse of the VC that they'd seen wandering around the wasteland from earlier. They make their way to that area and are eventually spotted by an F-4 making a recon flight, and they're picked up. Duff arrives home and sees that Gale is gone. Marilyn is there to tell him that she's gone home, telling him that she thought he was dead and she couldn't stay there without him. She just waited as long as she could, Marilyn says, days where she just kept crying. Then she gave up, quit, headed back to the world so she could get her life together, try to forget. I'm sorry, Dove. She really loves you, but she couldn't. She left? Dove asks. I gotta call her. No, I gotta look in her eyes. I've gotta see her, but I don't know how I'm gonna get back to her. I still have another eight months to go, and, and all I have now is a house I have no use for. Well, I wouldn't be too sure of that, a voice says, and Dove looks up to see Top standing in the doorway of his house. After all, everything's negotiable. If you've got the money, and you make a lot if you sold this place. Top, what are you doing here? Dove asks. Oh, something told me you might require assistance cutting through some red tape. This is a satisfying yet unsatisfying ending to this three-part story, and it's it's a but it is a good note for Doug Murray to end his run in the book. I want to know what happens after this. To be honest with you, I'm not sure if we ever do get to see Dove or, or Gale again, and I certainly know that we see Top because in my read through the series, I got probably until about the early '60s, as far as issues were concerned, before I stopped reading, vowing to pick it up once again once I got all the rest of the issues and then I started this podcast, but really I'm thinking about what that reunion would be like. How long is Gale home before Dove tries to get in touch with her? Does he try and write her, but he can't figure out where she is? Does he track her down months later, years later? Is it ever the same? Does she ever get over him? There are a lot of questions. And yet at the same time, I'm really glad it's open-ended because it's not a happy ending. And, We've seen time and time again from Doug Murray that war doesn't necessarily have happy endings. I'm very glad that Gail feels more developed in this issue than she did in the first issue where we met her. It makes sense that after this very sweet opening sequence that she would be so distraught that she would find the quickest way out of Vietnam. After all, she's a job to do there too, and she obviously can't do it without this constant reminder of what's been taking away from her. It seems quick for the sake of a story and if the story had been four parts instead of three I suppose her leaving would have felt more organic but if she's convinced that he's dead constantly thinking of him and being around everything that reminded her of him is not going to help those wounds heal the survival story aspect of this is also done well 
There's a couple of lighthearted moments where Phil drinks the water from the river and then pours hot sauce on his food, but Murray never goes for some like Lord of the Flies type of stuff or has them get jumped by the enemy or I mean, I'm sure on some level that happened from time to time, but the story didn't need it uh, when you really think of it. All it needed was for the boys to be alive and walking back through the jungle long enough to give time for Gale to come to that decision to leave. And so everything contributes nicely to that conclusion uh, that she reaches and the conclusion the story eventually reaches. I don't have much to say about the art, that I didn't already say the last time around. Herb Trippy is solid. The colors are much improved. He helps make this a good issue. But I would like to offer a final word on Doug Murray's run on this book since this is his last issue. He wasn't a writer I was very familiar with before starting the series. Then again, war comics were not a genre I had any experience with whatsoever. The premise of this series, to tell the wars that really happened in real time, was a bit daring considering the genre wasn't very popular and honestly he knocked it out of the park right away and while the first 13 issues with michael golden are the ones that get the most attention i think doug murray you know doug murray was on the now for better, better part of four years and did a, quite a number of really great stories throughout those four years yes there were times where things stalled a bit and times where maybe it seemed like we were getting a little bit comic book story more than war story but overall, this has been a truly great read, and I'm grateful that I had the chance to talk about it with him, and glad that all of you have stuck around this far. Our next regular writer will be Chuck Dixon, who I always associate with a superlative run on a number of Batman-related titles through the 1990s, but who also wrote The Punisher for a number of years. In fact, next issue features The Punisher. Before we get there, let's check out the letters and ads in this issue. So, incoming this month... No comments on the letters, just the letters themselves. You have uh, Corporal Gutierrez H, no first name given, who says he's a 22-year-old Marine grunt with Lima Company, 3rd Battalion, 9th Marine Station, Saudi Arabia. He's the forward observer for his, his 60 millimeter mortar section. It's very hot and humid during the day and very humid at night. I've been a grunt for these last three and a half years, and just for the records, grunts are the best and kept the wolf away from your front door for over 200 years. I don't know when I'm getting home. I sure hope it is very soon. Semper Fi, take care and keep up the excellent job. And he gives his address if anyone wants to write to him. Steffi Sloan says she's a big fan of the NOM. She enjoyed the early issues of Michael Golden. Any chance of him coming back? Jim Demas from Portland, Oregon says the NOM's impressive. There's definitely a step in the right direction for war comics, less concerned with military posturing and gung-ho action, and more concerned with stories about regular people who happen to be fighting war, a war they didn't understand. Chuck Dixon's non-work is some of his finest writing, and Wayne Van Sant's pencils are very expressive and seem to improve with every issue. Thanks for the great stories. Nam notes this month, we have Arclights are 300 B-52 bomb strikes, Buff, a large bomber, clicks kilometers, REMF, a derogatory term for personnel stationed in non-combat areas, SAMs are surface-to-air missiles, Spook is a spy. Next issue, we have When We Promise Nom Readers a Comics Event, Well, You Better Believe It. Next month begins a two-part experiment in marketing and crossovers. We step out of the regular Nom continuity and ever so gingerly into the Marvel Universe. 
Wait, come back. We promise no superheroes this time. No capes, no people flying, no slugfest or supervillains. The next two issues will concern a U.S. Army sergeant who is sent on a suicide mission to eliminate a notorious VC sniper. Not a long underwear character in it. So why, you ask, is it a crossover the Marvel Universe? Because the sergeant's name happens to be Frank Castle, better known as The Punisher. We've assembled a special team to bring you a special nom story. The Long Sticks is written by 5th Degree Black Belt Roger Salek, penciled by 2nd Lieutenant Mike Harris of Alpha Troop 1101 Cav, and inked by Jimmy Palmiotti, who hangs out in the Bronx. Covers for these two issues will be by Jorge Zafino. So we have that to look forward to. Next next episode. In fact, I've got a little bit of a clip from Jimmy Palmiotti talking about these issues, and I'll be playing playing that next issue as well. As this month, we have the acclaimed wireless Nintendo remotes that never worked properly because I actually had them. I got them for Christmas one year, and they were awful. Street Fighter Two Twenty Ten: The Final Fight. Is this from Capcom? Is this what? was Street Fighter 1? Because Street Fighter 2 was like the big SNES game in the mid-90s and early 90s, and I don't remember a Street Fighter 1, so maybe that was it? I don't know. Flare, Flare basketball cards. And then, oh, football collecta books, which is these little books about various NFL players. Um, ooh, they zap, vanquish, vaporize, and liquefy every other trading card on Earth. The first series of Marvel trading cards. I had quite a few of these. I had a huge number of the second series, but I remember buying a few packs of the first series. This is when the, the non-sports card market really started to get even bigger. More basketball cards. More basketball cards. A lot, there, seriously, there are three separate basketball cards. We got NBA hoops. We have Fleer. We have Skybox. A lot of basketball cards this 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 time around. Entertainment this month. All right. Electra. Electra returns from the dead to gain revenge on her enemies, and Electra lives again. Written and illustrated by Frank Miller. This violent third ninety six page hardcover. We'll set records. Highly recommended. I love how they're like, ultra-violent. We <laughs> This violent hardcover. Like, yeah. See, Wolverine bloodlust. The snow oozes with blood as Wolverine gets goes berserk in Siberia. All new 48-page story. Art by Alan Davis. Batman Bride of the Demon is a stunning new 96-page hardcover. They're actually not lying. I have it. It's really good. Excalibur Weird War 3, an all-new 64-page graphic novel. Excalibur must battle a Nazi version of the X-Men. Let's see what else we got. Ooh, McFarlane poster book. An incredible collection of 32 full-color posters by Todd McFarlane, featuring his best covers and more. Anything else? Nomad 1 through 3, limit 1 for a buck fifty each. There's Aliens graphic novels. Yeah, we're we're getting in there. Batman Daily's trade paperback was out. Give me Liberty number one, some of the independent stuff. The Predator returns in an all new series. I bet that's violent. The subscription has just a bunch of gifts wrapped by Spidey. We have presenting Mario and the Princess in bubble baths and shampoos. Our new shampoos are full of good, clean bubbles for you. 
And we see Super Mario Brothers, Mario Shampoo, and Mario Brother Bubble Bath. Mario is saying, our bubble baths are a real splash too. And there's a kid in a tub and bubbles. And the princess is saying, we smell so fruity fresh. And there's Princess Shampoo and Princess Bubble Bath. And she says, we'll turn your hair into beautiful bubble dews. Make it clean and shiny too. Nintendo, choose your player. New Super Mario Brothers and Mario Princess Bubble Baths and Shampoos from Revlon. They still make stuff like that. There's like Spider-Man shampoo and stuff. Uh, the funniest thing we bought one year because it was really cheap was a Superman like shave like daddy kit where it's like, you know, just kind of like silly foam and, and a fake razor blade and you can pretend to shave. It was like $3 or something at Target. Back cover has uh, the same Monster of a Good Time ad with uh, some serious, awesome looking 80s sweaters and weird, weird looks on the faces of the kids there. All right, so that is the Nom 51, and that is Doug Murray's run on the issue on the series. Uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and when I get back, I have my extra feature, which is very appropriate for Halloween, so stick around. You are about to witness history in the making. Hi there, this is Todd from Forgotten Films, and if you spend all your time watching new releases, then you need to broaden your movie horizons. And a great way to do that is by joining me for the Forgotten Filmcast. We don't talk about the new releases, we don't even talk about the classics. We talk about the movies that time forgot. On each episode, I'm joined by another film blogger to discuss a film that may or may not be worth rediscovering. So look for the Forgotten Filmcast on iTunes, Podomatic, and wherever you find great podcasts. So for an extra feature today, I wanted to get a little thematic with regard to this time, the time this is coming out, which is right around Halloween. I've chosen something out of a comic book from Marvel's Distinguished Competition. I'm going to take a quick look at a story called A Spectre Stalks Saigon from Ghosts Number 10. Ghosts was a DC Comics horror anthology series that ran from 1971 until 1982 and lasted 112 issues. The first 18 issues are reprinted in the black and white reprint edition Showcase Presents Ghosts, which came out in 2011, and if you can find it on the cheap, it's actually worth picking up. Because while a number of stories in Ghosts are tamed by modern horror standards, and even actually by classic horror standards, it's still a really fun read, and it was worth the five bucks I paid for it. The issue in question came out on October 3rd, 1972, and was cover dated December of 1972, with a cover price of 20 cents. There's no writer credit, but the artist credit is, according to the Showcase edition, and Mike's Amazing World is Gary Tala. And Murray Boltonoff was listed as the editor, although Abe Ocampo is listed on the page of the issue as the artist, and some Googling suggests that Leo Dorfman might have been the writer. Such it is with stories like this and anthology books like this, there aren't always credits given. The terror began in 1966 in the jungle of Vietnam's own Iron Triangle, and to this very day, the victims of the catastrophe cry, Beware, brothers, a specter stalks Saigon. We see several soldiers frozen in flight and amazed at a huge Vietnamese phantom heading toward one of them. One of them thinks it's a VC trick. The lieutenant tells his unit that the ghost doesn't exist, but one of the men says he thinks the ghost was trying to warn them. The lieutenant replies that they're tired and probably seeing things. But the eerie omen foreshadowed disaster because a mile down the trail, they're ambushed and badly hurt. 
The survivors make it back to Saigon, and the doctors think it's strange that they all seem to be babbling on about some kind of ghost, but dismisses as shell shock or fatigue. But a month later, the Phantom reappears in the Transon Hut airbase just as a group of soldiers is about to board some helicopters. One of the men thinks it's a warning, while the captain doesn't ignores it, only to be caught in a fatal crossfire. The phenomenon isn't limited to the Americans, as the Viet Cong see the ghost as well and ignore it as well, like the time they saw it pointing to the sky and dismissed it because the jungle canopy was too thick for the American pilots to spot them, only have to have bombs rain down on them sometime later. Sometimes, according to our story, the weird phantom played another role, and we see the ghost leading some soldiers down a trail to a memorial to a soldier that looks exactly like the ghost. A procession of people soon approaches and explains to the American soldiers there that they come to quote pray before the statue whose spirit comforts our sick and the dying this memorial was carved by the sculptor nguyen tan tu to honor his friends who suffered and died for both sides in this terrible war it is called sorrow and is said to hold all of the grief and pain of this conflict that's why it roams to warn us of the tragedies to come the soldier can't believe such nonsense, but we flash to 1968 when a phantom hand pounds on the door of the outskirts of Saigon. The villagers see the specter of sorrows and realize that a great danger must be coming. And through the week, they hear the sinister tattoo on temple doors, orphanages, homes, office buildings, and as the villagers wonder what's coming the next night, the Tet Offensive begins. The villagers cry about having been warned and wonder if the war will ever end as we get a final caption. The sorrowing specter warned of the costly attacks on Laos and Cambodia. A dispatch dated November 12, 1971, said that Saigon still dreads the day when the Phantom of Doom walks again, as witnessed by this headline in the New York Times. Near Saigon, ghostly legends grow around statue-grieving soldier. Now do you believe in ghosts? This is a gimmick that used to end just about every other story in ghosts, which was the You Will Believe in Ghosts banner. Um, quite a number of issues. It's not a long story. The writer does a pretty good job at getting as much as possible out of the six pages that he has in order to tell the story. There's nothing particularly extraordinary about it. So most like the stories of ghosts, it's a bit disposable. The art's good, though. The soldier's sorrowful expression is clear through both the statue and the ghost being shown. And Ocampo or Talaak or whomever did this did a great job of showing the American GIs in action as well as the emotion on the villagers' faces when they are being warned by the ghost. I only have this in black and white, so I can't tell you whether or not it looked good in color, but it really does look good in the black and white reprint. In fact, it's one of the better stories in the book because it looks like the artist took the time to combine the best of the classic DC war comics with classic DC horror comics. So, in short, this is a fun little story and one I wanted to have a little fun with on Halloween. What makes it even more fun is that the headline from the New York Times is actually a real headline. It's from November 14th and 1971, and you can read it for about four bucks through the Times Machine, which is a feature on the New York Times' website that allows you to go way back through their archives. Or you can listen to me right now. It's not a particularly long article, and I went ahead and purchased the copy, so here it is. Saigon, South Vietnam, November 12th, the most haunting war memorial in Vietnam. A 13-foot statue of a seated soldier grieving for the dead has become a shrine for many Vietnamese. The statue, called Sorrow, was originally cast in concrete and has been returned to the sculptor Nguyen Tian Tu so that it can be recast in bronze. It is believed to be by many to have supernatural powers. 
Some think it is a ghost that walks at night, asking for water or warning soldiers of ambushes. Others say they saw the statue weep last year during the Operation in Laos, in which so many South Vietnamese soldiers died. There are those who insist that it can speak. Other memorials in the Saigon area show soldiers in combat poses. This one is of a tired, tired man, seated, slumping a little, his sadness showing in his eyes and every line of his body. His rifle is across his knees, and he has a pack on his back and wears a helmet. The statue, which was put up in November 1966, beside the Saigon Bienhua Highway, about 12 and a half miles north of the capital near the entrance to a military cemetery, was moved in February to the yard of a sculptor while a new version is being made. After the new version is put on a great granite pedestal, the original will stay with its creator. Jostics and candles. Women in the sculptor's neighborhood sometimes stopped by to put jostics and candles at the memorial's feet. A taxi driver who took visitors to the sculptor's home st- stared at it in awe. I thought it ran away early this year. We heard it was lost, he said. The sculptor said he had received orders from the presidential palace to have the bronze version completed and in place before Tet, the Lunar New Year. Eight tons of bronze had been provided by the South Vietnamese army and a fund of over six million piasters, nearly $22,000, was approved by President Nguyen Van Thu, who commissioned the original. I'm considering going to a fortune teller to find out the best day to put the statue back in place, said Mr. Tu, who has paid $170 for the first statue and will not receive an additional fee. I don't care, the 37-year-old artist said of the financial arrangements. It is my masterpiece. When I die, I want to be buried right here and have my statue over my grave. The legend that has grown up around the memorial says that on the eve of the 1968 Tet Offensive, it knocked on the doors of villagers in in an area near the cemetery to warn them. The statue is also said to have stopped a 20-vehicle convoy to warn of a Viet Cong ambush. A Vietnamese military policeman says that he saw the statue step off its pedestal, take off its helmet, and rest on the grass. Others say they have heard it sigh and ask villagers for water. The sculptor's workshop has other statues, but none have the same fame. The model was a corporal named Vo Van Hai, whom the artist saw in a small cafe near the military cemetery. The corporal, who had gone to visit the grave of a close friend, related, I went to a cafe and ordered two beers, one for me and one for my friend. I sat there talking to my friend as if he were still alive. When I look at the statue, I think of myself just after an operation, feeling such tiredness and so sad. So many friends of mine are now dead. I do not count them. Uh, Gloria Emerson was the writer of the article. And that's it. A little ghost story, a little trivia. The end of a run on the Nam. And next time along, we will have episode 59, issue 52, the first part of the first Punisher story. So until then, thanks for listening and take care. A kiss is a love Won't carry me Till you make me feel I love you so You have been listening to In Country A podcast that covers Marvel Comics The Nom The Nom and all of the comics associated with it Are copyright Marvel Comics And since this podcast is intended For entertainment purposes And I make no money off of it No infringement is intended Images, clips, and show notes can be found at Pop Culture Affidavit, which is located at popcultureaffidavit.com. Feedback can be sent by email to popcultureaffidavit at gmail.com. 
In Country also has a Facebook page, and you can like the podcast at facebook.com slash incountrypodcast. This podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks Network of Podcasts, which is a division of the Demanza Corps of Milan, Italy. You can download this podcast and many other great podcasts at twotruefreaks.com. Want to support this and the other Two True Freaks podcasts? Go to twotruefreaks.com and click the Amazon.com link. It costs you no extra money, but really helps us all out. Thank you for listening and come back in two weeks for the next chapter in the saga of The Nom.